I'm Anthony Walsh and this is the Roadman Cycling Podcast, the show where we empower you with tools to optimize your health, your happiness and your longevity. Today, I'm excited to introduce professional triathlete and fast becoming one of the biggest names in the sport after wins in Mallorca and Barcelona, Yuri Kuelen. In this conversation, Yuri offers us a unique window into his world, discussing the pivotal role of motivation and mindset in carving out a successful athletic career. He opens up about how he channels negativity into a powerful force for motivation, turning challenges into stepping stones for greater achievements. Yuri reflects thoughtfully on the profound sense of purpose he finds in being an athlete and how his journey contributes significantly to his happiness and sense of fulfillment. Here's a little taste of what awaits you today. I think there are very rare moments that I don't want to train on the day, but then I know there's something wrong. But actually, I believe I don't have a choice. Like if I want to be the best in the, in the world, then if I want to chase what, what I want to chase with my team, then I don't have an option to, to leave things behind. I always think like people like me or, or don't like me because this is the real me. Like I don't want to be an alter ego or something like that. I, I don't feel like that's the, the way to do it. So I think being authentic, I think that's a good thing. And I'm not afraid to say what I think. I really love training. If I feel like I haven't trained a day or haven't exercised a day, even if it's a little walk or anything, like I feel a bit useless. Like I, I can be honest, I have ADHD and being a triathlete is very nice for a person with ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into today's episode, I have some exciting news to share with you. It's been a game changer recently for me, making a marked difference in my performance, especially when it comes to my sleep. Let me introduce you to Pillar. Pillar is a company that's on a mission to fuse pharmaceutical precision with sports supplementation for athletes just like us. Okay, so we're all familiar with electrolytes and carbohydrates in our race preparation, but Pillar's taking a different route. It's focusing on something called micronutrition. It ensures you're ready to perform even before you hit the start line. It's all about promoting a good night's sleep. It's facilitating effective recovery and replenishing those critical micronutrients so you can perform at your best. Over the past month, I've been incorporating Pillar's triple magnesium into my routine. Every night I take it 30 minutes before bed and I've seen a remarkable improvement in my sleep quality. You'll know that I'm back using a Whoop device tracking my sleep and the results of that improvement are there in black and white. I've had about a 10% bump in my restorative sleep since I started taking Pillar. I'm waking up feeling refreshed every morning, ready to attack work, podcast, training and just the next day in general. But don't just take my word for this. Try it and let the data on your fitness tracker tell you the story. So if you're ready to elevate your performance and your sleep quality, why not give Pillar a try? Head over to pillarperformance.shop and use the code ROADMAN on your local website for 15% off your first order. Or for US listeners, head over to thefeed.com forward slash pillar and use the code ROADMAN for the same 15% off your first order. The details of both of these are in today's show notes. Now let's get into the show. Yuri, welcome to the ROADMAN podcast. Thanks for having me. How are you? I've heard good things about it. So, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite good. Actually, I had a lovely training day. It's nice weather. I really, really enjoyed today. It's a bit fresh, but it's nice in Girona. That's where I live in Spain. And um, yeah, can't complain. Can't complain. I believe you were listening to my chat with Ben Hoffman on your run. Yes, 
Oh no, actually it was on the bike because Ben Hoffman is a biker and I thought, you know what? Let's have a let's have a listen on his wise words on the bike, which he obviously killed. <laughs> He's a good man, isn't he? Yeah, I, I, I met him a couple of times, but I never knew that there was so much wisdom behind him in in a in a positive way. Yeah, I think obviously you guys are at slightly different ends of your career. And I think two things with that, and I see it in cyclists and triathletes. One, at the start of your career, yeah, you haven't accumulated that wisdom, but also you're less lightly, definitely as a cyclist, because you have a team that's actually giving you a salary. But also as a triathlete, you have sponsors that you're representing and you're less likely to want to speak your mind. If you see something that you don't like, you're more likely to just go, oh, you know what? That's life. When you get to Ben's stage of his career, if he sees some dumb shit, he's happy to call it out as well. He has nothing to lose anymore. He had his career is like for 95, 90% completed. He, he'd been on the big stage multiple times, won big races. Like if I have a career like Ben Hoffman, I'm happy at the end of my, uh, at, at the end of my uh, career so far. So you think that's going to be something you're going to struggle with because I've heard you in interviews and you definitely like to speak your mind. Does there come a point where you're like, oh, I need to bite my tongue here? No. And if, <laughs> if I feel like, well, let's say, I think it's good for me to just, in general, if I would talk to my parents, just not have an opinion about some things because then I can't mix it up with my feelings and my emotions. I think that's more important than have an opinion and just don't speak it out. Like, I, I, yeah, I always think like people like me or, or don't like me because this is the real me. Like, I don't want to be an alter ego or something like that. I, I don't feel like that's the the way to do it so i think being authentic i think that's a good thing and i'm not afraid to say what i think and as well not afraid to hear what other people think about me i think that's maybe even more important we were chatting off air and both of us come from football backgrounds as underage one thing i can remember with football like the, the team i played for was pretty serious and we trained four days a week like at the time, I thought I was working hard. Like we had four one-hour sessions per week. That was it. And obviously you play on the street and stuff as a kid. But like I never went for a run. I remember going for a run a couple of times before school and thinking like I'm outworking everyone else by so much because no one's going for a run. What's that like transitioning from football into a sport that totally redefines hard work where you're training two, three sessions almost every day? Well, I think the difference is it comes as well with age. When I started football, I was four or five years old, and I was playing football with my friends on the pitch around the around the corner of our house, and that slightly became a bit more serious and a bit more serious. But I have to say, when it became very serious, when I got into academies and national teams, the the instance of the game changed for me because at, at a young age you become quite a product. So sometimes I think back and I'm on the bike because I have a bike loop where I cross a couple of football, football clubs and I see them playing ball on the, on the Saturday or the Sunday. And I, sometimes I think like, oh man, if I had the word ethic that I have now back then, I would be definitely having a golden, uh, golden <laughs> football or something like that. You know? <laughs> but I think, as I said, it comes with age. Like, um, of course, your body is in development and first fun is the, the, the driven factor. And that's still, but now it becomes way more serious, especially in the trial career. And you're going to get sponsorships, you're going to win big races. And it really changes from 
something fun into your work. So I always think like, yeah, but my mom and dad go to work every morning as well. So I have to go to work every morning as well, even if it doesn't feel like work. So I think we triathletes are a bit of lunatics in a lot of other athletes' eyes. Like if you ask cyclists, they say, triathlete, oh, you got you guys are a bit weird or you train so hard. Like I was watching a documentary of Max Verstappen once and he said, yeah, I don't want to be a triathlete, be isolated and train three times a day. I'm a Formula One driver. I was like, actually, he's right, you know. <laughs> if these guys say that, then... Uh, but I think, as you said as well, like, I think there is my strength in the fact that I can train three times a day, multiple hours a day. I think that that is really something where where my abilities lie, I think. But beyond the physical, do you think there's a certain type of person that's drawn to this or a certain skill set you need? Like I look at bike riders and, you know, I've spent, you know, the last decade around bike riders and some of them struggle with just the, the admin around getting training. I mean, the admin, like, keeping their bike in working order, finding their shoes, having a battery in their heart rate monitor, my power meter battery is dead. And that's just for one sport. So what sort of tools or time management strategies do you need to make it possible to transition between bike, run and swim and balance these all every day of the week? Well, I think for us as pro, it's quite easily because, and especially for me, I don't have a family. I don't have a dog. I don't have a job next to it. I don't have kids to protect or or you know like literally i wake up and the only thing i have to do are my three sessions or the sessions that are on my training peaks today and i have to make sure that i try to nail every session even if it's a newton's ride or a recovery run then i have to do the best recovery run i can to make sure i recover so i think that part is very different compared to age group athletes or people who work full-time and want to want to do an ironman or even shorter or longer, not really longer, but there are people who do that, I know. So we only have to do that for the day, like the three sessions for the day. So for me, it's never been an issue. I think there are very, very rare moments that I don't want to train on the day, but then I know there's something wrong. But actually, I believe I don't have a choice. Like if I want to be the best in the in the world, and if I want to chase what, what I want to chase with my team, then I don't have an option to to leave things behind. So one of the main things I do is I always start early in the morning, quite early in the morning. I wake up at seven and be in the pool at eight every day, even if I have recovery days so that I build in structure. I think that's the most important thing for me. But like, is there a, is there a limit to what you'll do? Like, is it win at all costs or is this like, do you, do you need to have some sense of balance? Like I look at famous swimmers and I talk about this quite often. Like you take Michael Phelps in swimming or Bradley Wiggins in cycling, both have won Olympic gold medals, you know, Phelps most decorated Olympian ever. And then when you get to that point where you've won everything, you've isolated yourself from everybody. You've no friends, you've poor relationships with your family and you're just a lonely, depressed type of person. Like, is that still success like in my mind and most listeners might say that's not successful so how do you strike that balance between yes i want to be successful but you've got to bring people along for the journey with you or else what's the point i think one of the most important things is to know and even if you're michael phelps or and who am i to give them advice but that's what i believe is <laughs> is to do it. <laughs> is, you're way more than the athlete so 
if I'm at the kitchen table and having dinner with my parents, I'm my parents' son and not Yuri the athlete. If I'm with my sponsors, yeah, then I'm Yuri the athlete. But if I'm going for a cup of tea at my grandma's, I'm her grandson. So it's difficult, but because our job requires like full-time focus, we don't have holidays, we don't have birthdays. Like, but I think the most important thing for me is to like know that Okay, uh, example, I'm in London with my girlfriend for a week and no one has any idea who I am, what kind of athlete I am, what kind of results I have, or anything. And it's not that I'm famous or something, but that, that kind of shows how less important being an athlete can be. Do you structure a season where, like, Garant Thomas has been on the piss in the off-season and he's been, you know, I think he said he was drinking 12 out of 15 nights that's the off season. He will get laser focused on as he gets closer to his events, you know, obviously the drink will disappear. Diet will start getting stricter. Training will start getting stricter. So he moves from very loose to very focused. Does your season have a rhythm like that? Or are you just always on? Uh, well, I think one of the main things for me uh, is I really love training. Like if I feel like I haven't trained a day or haven't exercised a day, even if it's a little walk or anything, like I feel a bit useless like i i can be honest i have adhd and being a triathlete is very nice for a person with adhd <laughs> <laughs> so sports and if i was a little kid i was always playing outside with my friends and i was always doing something and being at school in the books was never something for me i did it i have my i have my certificate and i graduated and everything but it was more a thing that i kind of needed to do so that said, I don't really like to go nuts on a night out, maybe once, twice a year, and then make it really worth it. And then come with the craziest stories home, like, oh, I had to spend the night in the prison or something like that, you know? <laughs> but like, and then go back to focus because I, I really feel like I'm doing something for a higher goal. And if I go out on an, if I go on a night out and the day after I have a, let's say, a, a difficult, session or something then i can't look to myself in the mirror and say yeah, okay i i did that session well but there were circumstances that i couldn't uh, predict and i felt or i didn't executed it as i wanted or as they prescribed and i totally i'm totally fine with that talk me through what life looks like at the moment like what's a what's a day in the life look like at the moment because i suppose it's pre it's pre-season right now i suppose which is important to note for someone listening well, I think as well, what's important to know is I have three different coaches. And I think that's very rare in Trialon, where you have a swim coach, a bike coach, and a run coach, all separately. And they all do their own. Do they talk? Yeah, we have a group chat, and they absolutely love each other. Like, there's constantly chatting. And uh, last week, someone went to a concert, and they sent it a picture Yesterday we went to the football and we sent a picture of it. So like it's more like a group of friends actually, but all with the same. This is, this is Team Yuri. Yeah, exactly. But that's how we call it, Team Yuri, and and all with the same, yeah, same mindset and same goal. But that requires a lot of communication from me and a lot of feedback and a lot of on point feedback as well. Because if I do something wrong on the swim or the bike and the run. It has consequences for the other day or for the other session, which another coach needs to know. But okay, so this morning I woke up at 6.30 at my breakfast and I had a swim at 7.30 with my swim coach. 
And at the moment, that is mainly focused on being efficient and quick in the water. So I did a 5.2 kilometer session, uh, which was three and a half K of work, uh, high uh, aerobic, high intensity, focus on efficiency. So like, we're not going to smash the water. We're not going to rush a session. No, if it takes longer than we uh, plan, we take that time. It's all about efficiency, learning how to swim efficient over a 3K distance, broken up in pieces, obviously, but like over a 3K distance. Because you came to swim quite late, didn't you? Because I know chatting to Josh Amberger, he was talking about he was in the water from eight months old. And his girlfriend, who's second in the world at the moment, she started swimming at 14. And he described that as super late to start swimming. I know your story is similar to that. Yeah, I was 200 months old <laughs> when I started. So. Figured maths on that one. What's that, like 15? Yeah, no, I don't know. I just said something. But like, um, <laughs> I did athletics before. So I switched to triathlon in 2004, 13, 14. And I had no experience with swimming. But I found a guy who was doing a, um, a sports school and he, he was a swimmer. So I asked him, hey, if I pay you a little bit of money, could you give me technique drills and could I see you twice a week to learn me how to swim? And I think actually from the beginning on that saved me because I started swimming better because my technique got better in a much more quicker time than, than I would normally do if I would go to the pool and just jump in and do my veins and come back. So I think swimming is the main thing because my run coach is coming from speed skating and it's literally the same it's all about efficiency and technique so we really want to focus and keep our focus on that so that's first of all that's why it's the first session of the day and second of all that's why i want to spend as much time as i need on the session with a guy on the deck to help me and get me more detailed and more better in the water than i was two years ago so I think that's my main priority, um, mostly of the day. And then the, the, I had the bike session, a VO2 bike session, um, which is three sets of three minutes, two minutes, one minute at uh, 420 watts with 30 seconds rest and that three times. And that session hurts, but it's, it's super efficient. And I think it's, it's one of the, the nicest sessions in the week, even if you hate it during it, but it gives you the biggest reward. And then after that, I had a VO2 session on the run, on the track. Very Ooh, short. That's a tough day. Yeah. Well, maybe it's interesting to talk about the way we train and the way uh, we believe our philosophy is. Yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting to know how that fits into because it, it, it's, you know, it's all well and good throwing out a lot of sessions and everyone's like, oh, cool, I should be doing that. But let's understand a little bit the structure of why you're doing that. I know for a long time, you know, I've tried to like Gordo Bourne and some of the old school triathletes. And it very much mimicked cycling where we started out in maybe October after a short break. Training was long, training was super slow, like 110, 120 beats, long hours. And then as you got closer to the season, people started layering in intensity. People have kind of moved away, especially kind of more advanced or professional athletes have moved away from that in recent years. And we started seeing more stuff like reverse periodization or different plays on that. So where do you fall into that kind of macro structure debate? Um, well, I think every week for me is nearly the same in structure-wise. So Monday recovery day, Tuesday VO2 max day, Wednesday long endurance day, Thursday uh, race session day, Friday kind of recovery day, Saturday strand day, Sunday uh, endurance day again. 
and that keeps coming back the whole year. The only the sessions the sessions change, and sometimes one of the three sessions a day will fall out. Depends a bit on what kind of period I am and uh, how do I feel and how do I respond in the training. But I think that we and my coaches we believe that everything comes out of speed. And what you saw, let's say, 20, 50, even 15 years ago, everything came out of endurance. And if you were fast, you were lucky. And if you were not, then you should do Ironmans. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, like we believe that everything comes out of speed because obviously you see a Magnus Ditlev, he's riding under four hours structurally on the bike. Patrick Lange, well, we, not wait, we don't have to wait long until he's running under 230 on the marathon. And I think the swim goes faster as well, but not as much as the bike and the, and the run. So even those splits and those times, they are much faster than they did years ago. So we believe that, that and I'm, I'm more of a, a fast twitch athlete, that we need to trigger that constantly. All year round. All year round. And the closer we get to the season, the more intense the sessions get or the more complicated the sessions get but they ultimately they fit always fit together so take that vo2 max session for me so you're out today on l's and you're doing that vo2 max yeah. session yeah, exactly now november so i just guessed you're on l's that was a great guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're out on l's doing a vo2 max session and it's november so if you're doing a vo2 max session in you know june and it's you're in the middle of race season how does that vo2 max session change in june um, let's say we have two weeks before the race. So I came from a race and we go to a race and in between is three weeks. So first week I skipped the VO2 work because it's, yeah, we are recovering and we want to get fit again. So then the, the two weeks before the race, that's the most intense session we can find. Like really dig deep that session as well on the bike. So on the run. So let's say on the bike, I do four by three minutes or three by three minutes at the same watts as I did on the two minutes today. Same recovery. And that's set three times. And then what I normally do is I come home and I go to the track and I do a VO2 session off the bike on the run. So let's say 12 by 400 at 108 pace. That's and Yeah, but trust me, if you can do that, you think you can like you can win the second world war in your own. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like it's a, it's a very hard session and, and definitely if it, if it gets hot here, but I, I truly believe as well and that I, I react very well in super compensation. So what we do now more is base work in those sessions. So we keep the level high so it doesn't drop too much, but it's not on the edge yet. Like there's still, improvement over the season and equipment wise on that sort of vo2 session are you doing your vo2 session tt bike in your tt bike tt bars yeah no not on the bars uphill on the tt bike and your you race runners uh no yeah it depends on how quick the session is so today i didn't do them on the race runners because the session was a bit shorter and not not top end but the sessions get bigger and longer I definitely have to run them on race flats because at one point, yeah, your legs getting more and more destroyed. And I think as well, the more you run on your race flats, the more efficient you get on that shoe. 
Winter is on the way and as the dark and cold days close in on us, we're all beginning to think about the next few months of indoor training. Every week I get emails and DMs asking about my dream indoor training setup. I've already got it. For me, the thing that's had the biggest impact on my motivation to train indoors, it's having a Watt bike. There's no faffing around putting bikes onto a trainer. The Watt bike's just there. It's ready when you are. Having it there just removes all those friction points. No more 10-minute setup, unfolding legs, banging my knees off stuff. No more connection issues. It just works every single time when I need it. There's zero setup and it feels exactly like being out on the road. I get to talk to the best riders in the world every week on this podcast. And guess what bike they all recommend? The Watt bike. We're partnering with Watt Bike to give you 10% off the Watt Bike Adam when you use the code ROADMANTEN at checkout. That's ROADMANTEN at checkout. If you're considering a dedicated indoor bike heading into the winter, I couldn't recommend this any higher. Details of this offer are below in today's episode description. There's so much data available in triathlon now that we didn't have years ago how into the data are you going i'm thinking you know off the top of my head we've, we've sleep data heart rate variability sweat rates continuous glucose monitors and then obviously all training peaks data on their ctls atls all that stuff do you geek out on it or do you leave it to the coaches uh well mixture i think in periods i'm looking at it but i always had the feeling that training peak is not always right I hope you don't have a contract with Training Peaks, but like no, no, I've had the Training Peaks founder on it as well, and we've yeah, talked about it. it. Yeah, like it's a best guess. I don't think yeah, that's his like, interpretation of it was don't use it as gospel. Like you've got to marry it with how you feel. Yeah, you've got to exactly. marry it. An, an example is if you travel today and you come across and you do Ironman Dublin, or you know you have a long flight and you don't train at all today, that's going to put you down as a zero TSS day, and then TSS is calculated as part of your CTL score. So the last 42 days of your CTL or your last 42 TSS is summed up and divided by 42. So if you travel all day, but you're busted from traveling, like you've eaten shit food, you've been on your feet all day, that doesn't know that you've been on your feet all day. That just puts it down as like a recovery day. So you're fresh the next day, even though you're not fresh the next day. So it has some flaws. Exactly. But even in races, um, in some races, my Garmin didn't work. And uh, my power meter didn't work because of what kind of reason. And I had my best bike splits and run splits. So yes, I'm data driven, but I think I can be very good without. I just leave it more to the coaches to analyze behind, after the race or, yeah, I use data. I run with my heart rate belt. I run with the stride. I test lactate. I have a heart rate monitor in the pool. I ride with a power meter, all the core body sensor. We all do that but we all use it, but we don't rely on it. I think that's the most important thing. Where we rely on this, hey, good morning, guys, I feel shit. Okay, we're going to skip session. Yeah. Or, yeah. hey, I feel good. Okay, how good? And do we feel like we need to use that day that we feel good or do we have to hold my me back more and stick to the plan? I think that's way more important for me and us. And, of course, I have an aura ring and I use all that data, but. I've seen so many times in the past that my aura ring tells me that I'm amazing today, but I have a sore throat and I'm in bed. Or And the opposite, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, my aura ring tells like, oh, you're not fit and that one of the best days in the bike or in the swim bike or run. So yes, I think we as athletes, we need to learn how to use them, but not rely on them. 
I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, myself and Magnus or and Alexander Boo uh, talked about this uh, quite a lot. And he's saying any of these measures, they're so far removed from the source. The source is how you feel. It's like if you couldn't chat to the athlete, if for whatever reason they had no voice and they weren't able to communicate to you, then we could maybe start to rely on this stuff and say, okay, well, it's the best we can do. Yeah. But to try and approximate how an athlete feels based off heart rate variability, based off you know some measure of how they slept, which are in a lot of devices highly inaccurate, it's crazy when you can just ask the athlete, how do you feel? Yeah, but I think as well, like it keeps it away from, as you said, it keeps it away from the source or the essential of being a coach. Like my coaches love to have a call with me and have a chat with me and, and, and ask me how you feel. But they even ask, hey, your sister graduated. How did it go? Like for them, the yeah. personal contact and the personal, as Ben Hoffman said in the podcast as well, happy athlete is a good athlete and a fast athlete. And I think that's way more important than relying on data. But I've seen the complete opposite as well. Like, oh, yeah, we use data. And then you think like, okay, we need to adjust something because that's what the data says. And then totally take, don't do anything with it. Like completely leave it on the side and just go on the foot, on the same foot as you were. So it, it looks, I always have the feeling it looks very cool from the outside. Like, oh yeah, we're testing and all oh, we do lactate and all oh, we do measure this and measure that. Well, it's the, like the lactates for the Norwegian guys on Instagram. Everyone's like, oh, I got to do lactates. But the reality is lactate is a super difficult process to do. And yeah, exactly. Alexander was talking about saying most people do it wrong. And then they're relying on bad data, like relying on a parameter that hasn't been calibrated. So it's super, super complicated to do it correctly. And even then, there's a lot of limitations, which you know they're exploring in detail. But for an amateur athlete to check that out on Instagram and go, I need to do a lactate, it's a big leap and it's a risky one. But I think we only use lactate on VO2 max sessions sometimes to see if I'm high enough. So to see if, for example, I was in the Sierra Nevada on altitude camp, I did a VO2 max session and my lactate didn't go above six. We directly stopped the session because we knew, okay, there's something going on. But if I, I can reach lactate of 18, 19 sometimes, so that's more to see. Like, sea level? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did once a session on the track, 8 by 400 leaving on 90, running in 60. And, oh, man. Yeah, I, I think that's the highest lactate I've ever measured. But, again, then, like, I've worked with, with my team now for two years. I worked with quite shitty coaches in the in the beginning. And they were very focused on data, but they didn't know how to use it. And especially what Alexander Burr said about like checking in on me, how I'm doing, that part they didn't do well. So I had kind of no voice and I couldn't communicate and they had to rely on the data and which was quite a quite of a guess. The training load you're putting down is pretty crazy how dialed on nutrition are you like as you work your way through the day are you aware of how many grams of carbs you need to take in how many grams of protein you need to take in each day on the on the sessions yes so for example i know exactly okay what i have with me on the bike i need to be it needs to be done and done at the end of the ride and i know that i need to eat every hour this amount of carbs this these kind of gels these kind of bars or so how many grams of carbs are you eating per hour on the bike on a normal training day, around 80, 70, 80. Actually, I'm sponsored by a nutrition brand, 226s, and they have 60 milligram carb gels. But I know if I have one of them an hour and half a bottle, I know I'm always good. I'm always safe. And what about on the run? Um, yeah, I always have the same gel with me. 
And as the session gets longer than an hour, I take one. After half an hour or after 45 minutes, depends on how long the session is. And I make sure that I have enough in my tummy between the sessions. Even if it's an hour in between, I'd rather go and get in the bushes than uh, have no, no, no fuel in my body. But will you race higher than that? Uh, no, I race at 130, 140. So do you have then like uh, a simulation days where you need to practice taking on 130, 140 grams? Well, God given me the, the strongest gut I think a human ever had. Like, it's crazy. Like, you can put so much in me and I have never, never stomach issues. Like, we tested it and we were trying to get 190, 100, 200 grams of carbs in. Of course, there came difficulties out of that. Like, what happens if you take 200 grams of carbs an hour? The, the mix you take is very thick and you get very thirsty from it. But I did a run session after it was totally fine. You feel good? Yeah, nothing going on. Not a sore tummy. I didn't have to go into the bushes, nothing. Like, do you think there's a correlation between performance and fueling? Like, So if, if say, you're at 120 versus 130, 40, 50, and as you keep pushing up, is there, like, as we say, diminishing marginal returns, a point where it's no longer beneficial to just keep taking more? Well, it's science. And I think science proven that the more you can take an hour, the better you can get. But again, and then we come back to the data again. It's about how how comfortable do you feel with with taking it. Of course, you can train it, but I know guys as well who do their seventy point threes at eighty ninety grams an hour, and because they have a a more difficult gut or or they can't take as much, yeah. Because whatever reason, uh, I know someone who has a gluten intolerance, and that's very difficult in training so he never used that amount of carbs or bars or anything to fill up so yeah his training in that goes way longer than for me or for someone who has no problems but i guess it's a unique because you can take on zero carbohydrates during the swim in a 70.3 so then you're coming off the swim and onto the bike and then you almost need to play catch up on your carbohydrate intake well i'm very lucky that my dad was was and is a chef so i've been always been raised with good healthy nutrition around me and we just sat together and worked with a nutrition plan when i very when i started uh try long before and he said well the main important thing is carbon loading the day before the more you can take the day before the easier you come through the swim and the first hour on the bike and actually the i do the swim and the first half hour on the bike i don't take anything interesting because what you see normally is in the first half hour on the bike, the race is kind of settling. So a lot of changes, a lot of overtaking, a lot of different dynamics until the last hour on the bike. So I want to be fully focused on what's ahead of me. And I don't want to think like, oh, I have to take nutrition here or oh, shit. And then maybe lose a bottle or something um, during the first 30 minutes and then having a bigger problem in the end. So I always take that half an hour or 25 minutes, depends a bit on the course and depends a bit on how the race is developing in front of me or behind me, to just settle in the race, see what's around me, see what's going on. And if I carbo load it well enough, then I don't need that first half hour. So I, I brought that down a kind of a, a weird road. So let's rewind back to uh, sort of your fueling just day to day for like the sessions you put down today. So you're getting up, you're having a good breakfast, you're coming into the pool, 
you're obviously fueling during the session, but what's your fueling look like around the sessions? Like, are you taking in kind of one to two grams of protein per kilogram of body weight, or are you using any of those sort of guidelines? I'm not, I'm not calculating anything. I just put in what I can find. And if that's a chocolate croissant from the bakery directly after the swim, then that's fine as well. I think as a triathlete, you just need to nail the fact that you can eat. I think the better and the more you can eat and the more appetite you have and can sustain, the better it is. Uh, I watched the documentary once and, and a woman, a chef from a cycling team said, if the riders lose their appetite, they lose the Tour de France. And I think that's 100% right. Hannah Grant. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Hannah Grant, I've had her on the podcast. She's good. I think that's 100% hit the spot because I love cooking. And luckily, I have a girlfriend who appreciates my cooking as well. So it gives me a lot of joy to be aware of. I love to have a big training session and then come home and sit on the couch and have a, a very nice, lovely meal. And when I did my run, I come home and I can smell the pasta bolognese that I put already in the oven or on the stove for three hours. So I think the most important thing between sessions is just eat whatever you can find. And make sure that it's enough, that it's healthy enough, and that it's fueling. So, for example, if I have a, a high VO2 run, I know that I don't need to eat a whole mashed potato with sausage uh, 20 minutes before the run. So I have to be a bit aware, okay, maybe it's better to eat two slices or three slices of bread with a light mixture on it. But I think, and again, literally, whatever you can find, just put it in your in your tummy and make sure that it's always enough and that it's healthy and that it's filling up and what about supplements uh, i don't use supplements because why zero zero at the moment zero have you had bloods done yeah, yeah yeah and it's totally fine only once in a while i use a sink and multifit in uh, at the end of a period so to keep to make sure that my immune system is not completely cracking down but i I eat twice, three times a week fish. I eat enough meat. I eat enough vegetables. I make sure that I put all the nutrition in and I just make sure that within 20 minutes after each session I eat. Jan Ferdino not get you on pillar? <laughs> no. He's not living in Jordan. Check it out, man. It, it works. Yeah. It works like magic. Uh, like I measured my sleep quality, like time it took me to get to sleep and the quality of my deep sleep for a month before I took a pillar and then measure her for a month after, it's almost like a 10% improvement in all my metrics over the course of a month. We're taking okay. wild. Well, it's it's worth the, the try. Check it out, check it out. And yeah, I will definitely do. But again, like I think the most important thing is in, in the whole conversation so far is like, I need to be happy. That's the first thing. And I have to listen to my body and communicate about what's going on inside my body and what I feel. And if I do those things very well, then I can perform at the level that I want to perform and that I performed before. So I think that's the most important thing for me as athlete. You also have a strange bit of momentum with you at the moment. I always think, I don't know what the equation is, but I've trained with athletes who are amazing trainers. We all have, where we're, they're just phenomenal at training and they're so fast, they're so strong. And then for whatever reason, they get into a race and they can't put it all together. So that always led me to believe that winning a race, it's some percentage physical and another percentage mental. I'd say it's maybe like an 80-20 split to physical to mental. But when you win, 
something magical happens where you get this momentum and you get harder to beat. Like when you won Barcelona and you win Mallorca and you're beating Alistair Brownlee, now all of a sudden when you're in a race and it gets difficult, it just feels easier to push through those difficult moments and keep winning. It's like momentum, if it's going badly or if it's going well, it's easier to maintain that momentum. Are you now coming out of the off season and into the new season with this momentum, which could lead you to you know many, many more wins next year? I hope so. Let's say that first. But I think the most important thing for me is as well, like it gave me a, a lot of peace, a lot of calm. Like, okay, I proved myself against the best in the world and I know I can do it. And maybe one day it won't happen in a race, but I know that I did it. So I know that I can do it. So it gave me a lot of yeah, peace of mind more. Like, okay, I proved that I'm, I'm capable of doing big things on the, on the stages when it matters. Who are you proving it to? Are you proving it to yourself or are you proving it to other people? Uh, okay, well, I've been part of the Federation for eight years. And they literally said when I left the Federation, um, Yuri, you're a good guy, but not a good trial lead. So thank you very much. And then I said, well, I don't believe that. So I left to Girona. And I hope that people are watching who said that. Like, of course, it's for myself. And it's, yeah, I do it for myself. I don't do it for anyone else. But it's it's nice to to show people that it's, that they're wrong. You know what I mean? Like, Just a chip on your shoulder motivate you. Yeah, yeah. Like... Uh, as a yeah, as an athlete, you've always been been watched. You always have your have have eyes on your on your back. You always be on the spotlight because, like, my coach calls it the modern gladiators. Like, literally, like you've been in an arena with sixty guys, and at that moment, nothing else matters than beating those guys. So, be in the moment. Like, make sure that you you stay in that moment and and get the momentum, as you said. But I think. Coming back to the question, I think when I run to the finish line with Alistair Brownlee or with any other guy, I think Alistair is as fit as I am and is as good as I am at that moment. But I wanted that day a little bit more, and that made the difference. Pure in mindset, not in physical training, not in in being more fitter or, or stronger. But I mentally wanted maybe a little bit more than him and I had a little bit more to prove than him and in Mallorca it was the same my parents were there and I haven't hadn't seen them in eight nine months they've been there from the start and I woke up and I couldn't lose that race I woke up and I thought like if I don't win this race today it's not possible I just I want to win that race for my parents and everything they invested in me and yeah I think that's that's the most important thing the purpose of it it's amazing how many athletes are motivated by negativity we all think you know reading these books on the great athletes that they're motivated by this grand vision but i have so many friends who are world-class athletes and they'll literally look through social media or youtube for negative comments and they'll take that negative comment and they'll use it as ammunition and they'll keep it they won't even mention it they'll keep on to it but it'll get them out the door it'll drive them to an extra set it'll drive them for 10 watts more and it'll drive them on race day well i'm not like that i don't have strava I keep all my training data to myself. Um, if someone does an extra hard set in the pool, I don't really care about it. I know that I, what I do uh, with my team, that's, that's the best for me. But what I think is the most important for me is that I really 
know what we are doing with the team and where we are up to and what kind of thing we are creating. And I'm the one who has to do it on the race, but I have so many people around me that truly believe in me as an athlete and as a world-class athlete and on that bigger goal, winning 17.3 champs, winning Ironman Hawaii, winning, doing big things in the sport. We truly believe that I'm capable of that and that's what motivates me more because I don't want to let those people down and I don't want to let myself down because I, I truly believe that I'm the oldest of a triplet and we had a lot of tr- uh, troubles with the, uh, when we were born. We were all three less than a kilogram and we all three survived and we all three healthy. But there must be a reason that we survived and that we're all three healthy and I truly believe that that's the reason I'm an athlete. I'm not good at school. I'm not stupid, but I'm not uh, someone who uh, who can save the world or can uh, can create a rocket ship. Uh, but I can <laughs> be an athlete, and I'm very very good at it. I think, and I truly believe that that's the reason I'm here. And and I think that's the most important thing for me that I truly believe that I'm capable of doing good and big things in the, in the sport. And whatever those big things are. It makes me happy as an athlete. It makes me happy as a person. And I, I truly believe that that's my purpose to be on this on this globe. If we went for a ride later, I was going to say a beer, but you don't drink. So if we went for a ride in Girona a year from now, what would success look like between now and then? What's the perfect year? Uh, 70.3 world champ. Can you do it? I believe I can. Boom. We'll leave it there. Thank you. Thanks for chatting. <laughs> Thank you.